Hello. Welcome back to another episode of Diagnosing a Killer. I'm Coel. And I'm Kenna. And you're almost 27? 28? Girl, you don't even know how old I am. What year is it? Yes, T minus, well, I guess a few days. I don't, well, this is going to come out the day before my birthday. 38. But, huh? At 38, 28. Yes, 38. T minus a couple days is what I meant to say, like, for my birthday. But you guys, you guys will be hearing this the day before my birthday. Yeah. So. Yeah, it's, uh, it's wild. I'm getting fucking elderly. It's totally fine. My <laughs> back just hurts so all the time. Old. I almost broke my toe trying to stand up yesterday. So that was fun. <laughs> Ugh. And I yeah. had, a huge ass panic attack at work today so Aww. that was a first and i like a dead ass thought i was gonna pass out i had to sit down it was bad Jeez. it was really bad like i'm still feeling the effects of it like now and it's been like almost it's 12 hours been an intense week yeah yeah just in general i think and it I, has once the week like the week is over i think it'll be better by monday because you're gonna go out of town this weekend yeah and that's exciting yeah yeah. I'm really excited. We're so going to the lake. Birthday weekend. We're going to wakeboard and jet ski. And we have two of our really good friends, uh, Braxton and Kaylee, that have never been to the lake house with us. Mm. So we're going to go with them. And this is like our first like little mini vacay with them that yeah. we've ever done. So that's really exciting. And then also, I'm going to announce this at my birthday dinner on Friday, but I got accepted to grad school. Congratulations. Thank you. That's and awesome. so that's something that's been really oh, like kind so of stressing me out because like not only am I accepted, but now I have to do all of the stuff before <laughs> the three weeks goes by when I start classes. Right. Because I kind of did my application a little bit late. But it went through, I'm accepted, and I will be pursuing an MS in forensic psych. That is and that's so really scary to say. Incredible. <laughs> you're not scared, you're excited. I'm so excited. Yeah. But I then, can't believe you start before I do. Because I, I don't start until after the festival. Yeah, mine starts on the 7th mm-hmm. of August. Like, it's early. But it's completely online. I mean, so is yours, but yeah. I don't know. I don't know how it works. But yeah, it's fucking wild. It's going to take me about two years. But throughout that time, listeners, you'll be able to hear my knowledge increase on the topics that we bring you every day. That's so. So exciting. that's pretty cool, yeah, right? I feel I like know. I'm going to sound smarter, like a couple weeks, just yeah. just in a couple weeks, getting uh getting that knowledge. <sighs> We're on an upswing upswing here. Yeah, so, I think we are. For yeah, sure. like I'm almost done with my associates, and then after that. Hopefully transfer to a university. Yeah. The university that I want because my know. GPA is right where I want it to yeah, be. Yeah, and your GPA is awesome. I'm doing a great job getting it, getting it up there. Mine was terrible. I think I was like a tenth of a, po- <laughs> a GPA point above like the minimum. For really? The, <laughs> the master's. Oh, yeah. no. I definitely wanted them to be able to look at my application and be like, oh, clearly GPA is there. And so. Clearly she put in the work. Yeah, yeah. For sure. I'm super proud of it. Yeah, that's awesome. You should be. <sighs> Okay, um, before we get started, we do just want to mention quickly our social media. Do you want me to tackle that since it's your case? Sure. Sure. So we have social media. If this is your first time listening, we are everywhere at Diagnosing a Killer, with the exception of Twitter, which is at Killer Diagnosis. We do have a Patreon set up. If you're unfamiliar, we have three tiers of our Patreon. All of them receive ad-free episodes every week, and our Tier 2 and 3 patrons will also receive an additional bonus episode once a month on the 29th. I've picked my case for this month, and I am researching it, and it is bad. (laughs) But these ones are completely unedited, uh, very a little bit more graphic than our normal content. Mm -hmm. So if you'd like to be able to get access to those, please go ahead and join the Patreon. And we always appreciate the support of our current Patreon members. Yes. Lastly, I think is diagnosingkiller.com. Yeah, we have diagnosingkiller.com, obviously, with all of our resources and links and merch and all that good stuff. So please go buy some merch. I am going to wear my Yikes on Bikes shirt at work tomorrow, I think. Mm-hmm. And check out the True Crime and Paranormal Podcast Festival that we are going to be a part of in yeah. a couple weeks. Yeah. <laughs> so, so scary. So exciting. <laughs> so exciting. I keep saying scary, but I really mean excited. Yes. Okay, I'm done. Go ahead. Today we are going to be talking about. Bren Omdil Hartman. Okay. Now, she might not sound too familiar to you right now, but she will. She will sound familiar. Okay. Content warning. This episode depicts scenes of drug and alcohol abuse, domestic violence, and a murder-suicide. If this episode is not for you, we encourage you to listen to another one of our episodes. Remember that your mental health comes first, and you are very important to us. We love you. Love you. Bye. Bye. 
So Bryn Omdale Hartman was actually born Vicky Joe Omdale on April 11th, 1958. Vicky Joe. Vicky Joe. <laughs> I feel like we always get those names. Yeah. <laughs> Vicky Joe. <laughs> she was born in Thief River Falls in Minnesota to parents Donald Jean and Constance or Connie Faye Omdale. I think Constance is such a cute name. I think so too. Constance. I think of Constance though when I think of Monster House because that was yeah. the big lady. Yeah. The wife. Yeah. The, oh yeah, the house. Yeah. Yeah. She like that was I think her. That she was that the was house. Kathleen Turner. Yeah, she was the house. Yeah. I want to say she was Kathleen Turner. I love her raspy voice. Donald worked as an engineer, and Connie worked for a local retail shop. Cute, quaint. Bryn was one of four kiddos, or in this case, Vicky Joe, because she was born Vicky Joe. Yes. Or Vicky. Vicky was one of four kiddos, and they were all raised in a middle-class Christian household. Vicky had an older brother named Greg, and then she had two sisters, Catherine and Deborah. Greg. Greg. Gregory. <laughs> as long as her family remembers, Vicky was a vivacious, charismatic, and ambitious young child. Mm-hmm. She was known to be extremely funny and silly. She would be considered the troublemaker of the four kids. Mm. At a young age, Vicky expressed her desire to be famous like, as an actress or a model. I want to be famous. I want to be famous. <laughs> Fine. You're going to see my name up in lights. Blah, blah. <laughs> but for real. <laughs> so those around her gave her a lot of encouragement to become an actress or a model. She was always really cute, or she was, you know, grew up and blossomed into this beautiful woman. The encouragement seemed to validate Vicky's kind of arrogant attitude after a certain time. Huh. Like, she often thought that she was better than others because one day... She dreamed that she would just leave this small town behind and go to L.A. and be this famous person, right? You know who that sounds like? That who? sounds like Cousin Vicky from Vegas Vacation. Yeah. <laughs> she's, like, she's like dancing on the side. She gets Aubrey up there, like, with her. Audrey or Aubrey, I don't remember. Yeah. Was, but uh, yeah the blonde girl. And yeah. she's, like, she's like, look, my, he's like, Audrey. my daughter's famous. She's on the, the She's on Billboard. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and it's, like, sex work. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, call this number. Like gross. Yeah. It's like, do that little number I showed you, sweetheart. And oh then it's gosh. on a pole. So gross. <laughs> I want something better. What's up better than this goddamn life? Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Did you lose your place? Yeah, I was thinking about Vegas Vacation. That's a good movie. I love that movie. Great fucking movie. So Vicky was 5'10". She was blonde-haired, blue eyes, and beautiful. And this came with its own sense of superiority, superiority over others as well. Because she got a lot of attention or admiration. It came very easily to her, especially Uh from men. She was described as the very girl next door, quote unquote. Wouldn't the girl next door kind of be like someone that's like not outwardly like at first glance, like really good looking. And it's someone that's like kind of just like down to earth and genuine and doesn't really realize how pretty they are. I feel like that's what I think of when I think of girl next door. Girl next door. Yeah, maybe. I think maybe it was because she was conventionally attractive. Uh, You know? Yeah. Got it. So by high school age, Vicky began to go by Vicky Joe as it made her seem more exotic or something. I don't Vicky know. Joe. Vicky Joe. Vicky Joe would begin dating a man by the name of Douglas Torfin when she was in high school, which Douglas had already been married and divorced at this point. Hmm. Couldn't really figure out how old Douglas was, but either way, in the May in May of 1977, the two would marry after being together for a few years. Mm-hmm. So if you do the math, she's born in 1958, and she's married in 1977. She would be 19 years old. Oh, my gosh. So I don't know how old this guy was, but either way, they were, like, together for about eight years. Dang. Yes. That's still, like, kind of gross, though. Yeah. I'm sorry. They were together eight years, and she got married at 19? Is that what you're saying? No. They would be married for... They would get married in 1977, and they would be married for eight Got to nine it. years. I was like, yeah. hold the phone. She I was know. eight? I had to do that. <laughs> eight, <too>. 11? Yeah. <laughs> I did that, too, and I was like, wait a minute. This can't be right. And I had to go <laughs> find other sources. Douglas was the kind of guy that was ready to settle down and have kids. But Vicky Joe again, was not satisfied with living in a simple town. She did not want to be a housewife. She had these big dreams. So eventually the couple would divorce and Vicky would find this as kind of an opportunity for her to pursue her modeling and acting career. Okay. And how old is she around this point? Oh like gosh, eight 20, years later. Eight? Yeah, about 28. Mm-hmm. Vicky would find mild success in local shoots and she would get headshots and all that other stuff. 
she tried to, you know, do modeling locally. And as soon as she had this kind of, like, portfolio put together, she decided to move to L.A. And she took acting courses as well. She lived extremely modestly in L.A., and she struggled to get jobs almost immediately. After some failed attempts at launching her career, Vicky Jo changed her name to Brendan, as it seemed even more unique. Brendan. Brendan. B-R-I-D-O-N. Like, it almost looks like Bryden, but it's Brendan. Yeah. Brendan. For a girl. (laughs) For a girl. I'm just going to call her Bryn from now on, because she does shorten it to Bryn. A childhood friend of Bryn's would later recall, quote, when I met her, she was Vicky, then she became Vicky Jo, then Brendan, and then Bryn. I'd laugh all the time and say, who are you this week? End quote. LOL. (laughs) The name change seemed to help a little bit as Brendan would eventually book her first swimsuit job as a swimsuit model. She would continue to model swimsuits in various catalogs over some time, but it still wasn't the ultimate success that she craved. She tried out for many acting roles with no callbacks. Brendan had thought that since everyone at home had admired her, being in LA was going to be no problem. She just thought that she would be able to find work very quickly, and that wasn't the case. No, a serious reality check. Like, when yeah. you go to L.A., everybody's tall, skinny, and beautiful. Everybody's blonde and blue-eyed Yeah, and exactly. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's not just you now. Brendan would soon become depressed, and once on a night out, Brendan tried cocaine for the first time, as it was a part of the regular nightlife. Mm-hmm. However, she would become highly addicted to cocaine and alcohol, resulting in multiple stents and rehab. Oh, shit. Brendan would change her name simply to Bryn. But now sober, after rehab, and on Zoloft to treat her ongoing depression, Bryn began to work again and became a Catalina swimsuit model. Oh, Catalina wine mixer! In 1986, with her life finally stabilizing once more, an L.A. friend of Bryn's wanted to set her up on a blind date. This man was described as funny, successful, and was right up Bryn's alley. On November 25th, 1986, Bryn would meet her future husband, Phil Hartman. Okay. Am I supposed to know who that is? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> My bad. He was on SNL, Pee-wee's Playhouse. He was Pee-wee Herman? No, he oh. that's Paul Rubens. But he was in, uh... Okay, do you remember Three Amigos really well? Not really well. Oh, damn. Okay. All I remember from that is Chevy Chase. Ugh. There's Phil Hartman's at the beginning, and he's, like, the dude that's just the telephone guy, and he's like, take the Amigos clothes. No? I mean, I haven't seen that movie in probably 15 years. The Coneheads? I remember that movie. Haven't seen it in 15 okay. years. Which is, oh my gosh, that was the air- astral plane just now because I literally said the coneheads earlier. Did you really? I was at work and I put like a little tiny traffic cone on one of my kiddos' head and I was like, mm-hmm. LOL, conehead. Coneheads. That's yeah. so funny. Can't look at an eggplant. Wow, the that same. was the astral plane for sure. That's so strange. No, um, I'm showing my age, even though I was just complaining about being old. I don't know who that is. And okay. the listeners are probably very disappointed. Well, I'm going to tell you who yeah, Phil, please. Phil is. <laughs> Philip Edward Hartman was born September 24th, 1948. He was a Canadian-born fourth child of eight. His parents were Doris, Marguerite, and Rupert Lovig Hartman. Whoa. Those are names, right? (laughs) Those are names. (laughs) Phil's father sold building supplies, and the family grew up in a middle-class home. He was raised in a Catholic household. And Phil says about his childhood, quote, I suppose I didn't get what I wanted out of my family life, so I started seeking love and attention elsewhere, end quote. Oh, that's sad. Being directly in the middle of all eight kids... Phil strived to get the love and attention that he desired and craved. He also had a disabled younger sibling that took up a lot of his mother's time at home, and his dad worked extremely long hours. He found the best way to gain positive attention was through comedy and would often goof off around his family being the cheery one. Phil's family moved to the United States when he was just 10 years old, first living in Maine, then Connecticut, and then ending up in Los Angeles neighborhood Winchester. Um, this was all within five years. So the family moved. I'm sorry, where did you say he was born again? In Canada. Oh, okay. In Ontario. Okay, gotcha. Phil graduated from Westchester High and was most notably the class clown and no- noted as a true romantic. Mm. He often doted on the girls that he dated, writing them love letters and embarrassing them in front of other students with his outward expressions of love, which is so cute. Oh, so cute. After high school, he decided to attend at Santa Monica City College But then he soon dropped out in 1969 as he found an opportunity to tour with a rock band as a roadie, which I think is just like, fuck this school, I'm just gonna... Yeah. (laughs) It's so cool. It's punk rock. 
Oh my god, I don't know why that just reminded me. Complete side note, me and Casey watched the Hatchet Wheeling Hitchhiker documentary the other day. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Did you see it? Kai. Oh my gosh. Did that you guy see is... it? Ugh. Yes, I saw it. The, the documentary? Yeah. Oh my god, it's wild. It's, it it's is wild. So wild. It's just as wild as he is. Yeah. In it that, just like, reminded, 10 minutes. It, that reminded me, because you said this guy's like, oh, fuck it on the road. Like, I don't have to worry about working yeah. or doing anything. Like, smash! 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 So bad, dude. <laughs> Awful. And then that one guy made such a good point when he was like, you know, he would say things that were like very clearly alarming and people would just like not fucking say anything. <laughs> people it. would laugh. Yeah. Like I'm doing right now. Exactly. He's like, literally talking about hitting somebody in the head with a hatchet. And everyone's like, ha, and it's like, ha ha ha. You, smash. Oh, you dog. Oh, that catchphrase. I need that on a t-shirt. <laughs> Seriously. That's terrible. Yeah. Anyway, back to the story. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> uh. So while working with musicians, Phil found a passion in graphic design. And he actually wanted to create album covers, which I thought is really unique and that interesting. really cool. So he actually went back to college. He went to California State University in Northridge to study graphic design. He would graduate and come to own his own graphic design company. His company designed over 40 album covers. Most notable graphic designs were for Poco, America, and the Crosby, uh, Crosby, Stills, and Nash before they had Neil Young, which is, like, huge. That's really cool that phil hartman would do that huge don't know who any of those people are either <laughs> god damn it like, mm, impressive some people will listen to this and go i know exactly oh, who she's talking yeah, exactly. about <laughs> that's for our listeners older than me <laughs> so around this time um or during the time that he was working at this graphic design company phil had met gretchen lewis and now phil was finding success in work and he felt successful he asked gretchen to marry him the couple would quickly marry in uh-huh. 1970, but they would also quickly divorce uh-huh. in 1972. Oh, dang. Soon after this, Phil's first television debut was on an episode of The Dating Game, where he would actually win. Oh, really? Which was interesting. I know yeah. what that show is. Yeah. Oh, you know what The Dating Game <laughs> I is? I do. Don't know Phil Hartman. <laughs> dating Game is old. I want to do that. Um, what's that guy's name? I want to do The Dating Game Killer. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> oh, yeah. <laughs> I wow. waited. <laughs> oh yeah, oh yeah. Yeah. What was that? Uh, 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 I don't know his name. I'll cut. Mom sent it to us. Yeah, I remember. Yeah, that guy is creepy looking. In 1975, he started attending. He being Phil, not the date game killer. <laughs> started attending a comedy group called the Groundlings, where he actually met his who would become his two biggest friends and confidants john lovitz and paul rubens who is pb herman oh okay i know who that guy is (laughs) (laughs) john lovitz would later recall about phil quote he could do any voice he could play any character make his face look different in a whole different way without makeup he was the king of the groundlings end quote so cute reminds me of jim carrey like he can change his whole face oh for sure phil would meet and marry lisa strain in 1982 And the couple were seemingly fine until their marriage problems arose in 1985, just three years later. Mm. Lisa was beginning to become frustrated about Phil's lack of communication, saying that when, during disagreements, Phil would, quote, disappear emotionally. His body would be there, but he'd be in his own world. That passivity made you crazy, end quote. Yeah, it's like you're talking to nobody. Yeah. Lisa said about Phil, quote, My sense of Phil was that he was really two people. He was the guy who wanted to draw and write and think and create and come up with ideas. He was the actor and the entertainer. And then he was also the recluse, end quote. God, that's like really sad, honestly. Right? It reminds me of, like, Robin Williams. Yeah, like, or Jim Carrey's that way, too. Jim Carrey, was. yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and it's you, just, I mean, you become that person. Say. Yeah, like, a lot of people that are, like, they seem the happiest are actually, like, the most depressed, you know? Sad. It's really sad. The couple would divorce in 1985, However, the two would not lose contact and, in fact, would develop a very deep friendship over the years. The former Groundlings troop members would go on to create a children's television show called Pee-wee's Playhouse. The concept was mostly about identifying with young kids by playing along with them instead of strictly educational videos or an uh, lecture-type setting. Mm -hmm. Phil would play Captain Carl in the show, and Phil would actually go on to co-write the screenplay for Pee-wee's Big Adventure. I love that movie. Right? The Basement of the Alamo? Yeah. I've seen it. My favorite part. It's the best part of the Alamo. Yeah. Yeah, is the basement. Yeah. Yeah. If you haven't been down to the basement, you should go check it out. I was saying that it was the best part of the movie, but... Oh, the basement. Yeah. 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 
No, I think the best part of the movie is when they're in the 18-wheeler and she's like, it looked like this! And then her face gets all crazy. <laughs> yeah. Scared the shit out of me when yeah. I was little. <laughs> Good morning, Mr. T! I'm a loner, Dottie. A rebel. A rebel. A rebel. Oh my god. Uh, I need to watch that. I used to have such a crush on Paul Rubens, too. He's a cutie. Everybody always looked at me weird when I said that. He's a cutie. Yeah, he's cute. Maybe he's cute. Yeah. Okay. Back to the Anyways. Story well, he's important. He's part of the story. He's important. Yeah, he was like one of Phil Hartman's best friends. So either way, this would be around the time that Bren would be set up with Phil. Okay. And they go out on this date, and the two hit it off. Bren loved Phil's sense of humor and how doting he was with her. And Phil couldn't believe that he nabbed this tall, beautiful, blonde babe, right? And she's like kind of a working model. Mm-hmm. Things were looking up for Phil as in the same year that Pee-wee's Big Adventure came out and when he met Bryn later on that year in 1986, he would be asked to join the cast of Saturday Night Live, Hmm. which is a huge career-changing move that most comedic writers dream about. Phil said, quote, I wanted to do SNL because I wanted to get the exposure that would give me box office credibility so that I can write for movies myself, end quote. Phil was known for his laundry list of impersonations, most notably his Bill Clinton impersonation, and original characters such as Caveman Lawyer, which was like this thought-out caveman lawyer. Yeah. That's funny. (laughs) You (laughs) can't talk today. Sounds funny. I said that's funny, but my voice didn't work for a second. Adam Sandler used to refer to Phil as Glue for a nickname. Lorne Michaels, who was the creator of SNL, explained this nickname, saying, quote, he kind of held the show together. He gave to everybody and demanded very little. He was very low maintenance, end quote. Aw, yeah, that's really sweet. sweet. Lauren Michaels of SNL. Yeah. Are you telling me that he's the one behind the, it's Saturday Night Live? <laughs> that's really good. Thanks. Like, <laughs> it's Saturday Night Live. It's like you have to do like a little bit of vibrato oh, on the live yeah. or else oh. it doesn't sound right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Live. Dana <laughs> like Carvey. That. <laughs> like that. <laughs> Tim Meadows, we arguably like not as good as the as a uh, Johnny from Jeopardy. Oh, Johnny from yeah. Jeopardy is really good. And now here is the host of Jeopardy, Alex Trebek. Thank Ken you, Johnny Jennings. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Johnny Gilbert. <laughs> That's great. I like when Johnny does the categories. Yeah, yeah. That was really good, kind of. Thanks. I'm a voice actor. If you, you should didn't know. be. So the couple had become inseparable, walking red carpets together and going to shared interviews, even on Howard Stern. What's wrong? Nothing. Oh. I thought there was a bruise on my elbow, and I mean, there is a bruise on my elbow, but I was trying to see if I could see it. To locate it? it? Yeah. Okay. I thought maybe you got a bug bite or something. (sighs) Whatever. It's always something with me. Within a year of their first date, the couple would marry in November 1987. Their son, Sean Edward Hartman, was born in 1989, and their daughter, Bergen Anika... Anika. It's either Anika or Annika. Hartman was born in 1992. By all accounts, their marriage was a rocky one. Further compounding all the complications that they were having, Bryn began to use drugs and alcohol again. No. She tried entering rehab on several occasions, but often when the couple would fight, Bryn would get verbally or even physically abusive with Phil. He would often come to work Co-workers would essentially notice that there would be marks on him. Oh my god, that's so sad. You know, like, we always say that, like, spousal abuse can go both ways, and yeah. I feel like a lot of the times, it gets kind of overlooked when yeah. it's a female spouse um, abusing her male partner. Yeah. Brynn often went out drinking until early until the early morning hours, and she would come home to pick fights with Phil, who would most often be sleeping, so she would come home messed up and would pick fights with him. Like, wake him up just to fight. Just to fight. Just to find something to argue about. Phil had also on multiple times pretended to be asleep when she would arrive just to avoid arguments, but it only seemed to enrage her more. Phil would tell a friend, quote, I would go into my cave and she would have to use grenades to get me out, end quote. Grenades? What do you mean? Like, a metaphor. Like, oh, oh, he oh. would go into his usual, like, kind of self-protecting yeah. cocoon. And she would get so explosive in order to get him to react. Like, what? I don't understand that. Like, if alcohol makes you... And I know that's addiction. I'm just saying, like, alcohol makes you fucking act like that, then why are you drinking that much? Like, I don't... I just don't ever understand that. Like, 
personally, like, I don't obviously struggle with addiction, but I noticed a while back that certain types of alcohol made me act certain ways when I was intoxicated. So I stopped drinking those certain types. For sure. Because I didn't like the way I acted when I was very drunk, you know? And she's, you know, she's mixing it with her antidepressants and she's mixing it with cocaine. Yeah. And she clearly has some type of an addictive personality here because she's had stints and rehabs before. Yeah. And it's easier said than done, you know, to just not drink, you know, but, but it's definitely not, it should not, and it is terrible that it's at the expense of Paul. Phil. Of Phil. Yeah, not Paul Rubens. I, know, I was thinking of Paul Rubens still. <laughs> Who doesn't think I of know. Paul Rubens? <laughs> Just constantly in my mind. Bay. <laughs> Trusted Health Products makes a variety of incredible products that you can feel good about. Their oral care, skin care, and nutritional products focus on quality first. Trusted Health Products are GMO and additive-free, and are 100% pure ingredients that feed and nourish your body to help you look and feel your best. Click the link in the show notes and receive 10% off your first purchase. Trusted Health Products, products that you can feel good about. Phil wasn't the only one that Bryn would start conflict with. Specifically, after Bergen was born, Lisa Strain, who was Phil's ex-wife but longtime friend, mm-hmm. wrote a letter to the Hartmans congratulating them on the birth of their second child. Oh, that's sweet. Lisa, however, would receive a letter a few weeks later from Bryn telling Lisa to stay away from her family and that she is to cease all contact with Phil and at one point threatened to, quote, rip your eyes out if you speak to him again, end quote. Jesus, and deliver a load of death? Straight up. That's what, remember, that's what, that's what home, one of the people we've done said. He, like, messaged them and said that he's yeah. going to deliver a load of death. I'm going to deliver a load. A load of death. Like, <laughs> that's not funny, but, like, that's not, fucking... That's terrifying. Intense. So, but it's... Poor Lisa. She's probably like, what the fuck? Makes me wonder if she was abusing alcohol then as well, right after the birth of Bergen. Yeah. And if she wasn't, then that's just her... That's just, just her. how angry she gets. Yeah. And it's just compounded by drugs and alcohol. Bryn began showing extreme signs of jealousy and began to attempt to isolate Phil. Bryn has struggled to find acting work, only appearing in a single movie in 1994 as a waitress. Bryn began to feel that because of Phil's career taking off, it dwarfed her. It was such a point of contention between the couple that at one point, Phil even considered retiring just to allow his wife to pursue her career without his influence. Oh my god. That sounds like a textbook narcissistic personality disorder. Like, you end. can't be great. Yeah, because I'm the only one that can be great. You're, yeah, because your greatness is, like... Dimming my light. Exactly, dimming <laughs> yeah. my light. Like, it's ugh. ridiculous. Like, you should be so lifting mad. your partner up, not, yeah. you know, trying to outshine them or whatever. Phil had even removed the children from the house on occasion to stay with friends or family members because of Bryn's outbursts. Which is also scary that there's two children involved in this. That is very scary. And also, like, it's not only... Like, it should never have affected anybody. But now it's affecting, like, outside people. And I'm sure that she's not enjoying the fact that her behavior is getting a lot of recognition. Like, she's, like, probably like, oh, shit. Like, I don't want them to know about, you know, these certain things. Because, of course, a narcissist, someone that abuses their spouse, doesn't want it to get out. Because then they're going to say, how dare you make me look bad by telling people things that I said and did. Nobody will hire (laughs) me in this town because you, you know. you slandered my name because you told everyone. Exactly. Even Phil's SNL co-stars were not safe from Bryn's jealousy. She would constantly accuse Phil of having feelings for Jan Hooks, who was a famous impersonator and often played politicians' wives on the show. Bryn would always say that she believed Phil and Jan were married, quote, on some other level, end quote. Oh, whatever, dude. Bryn had written Jan several letters giving detailed threats to Jan in a similar manner the way that she threatened Lisa. Thankfully, she never sent these to Jan, and they wouldn't be found until much later. Imagine being, like, extremely famous and on SNL and having to deal with this shit. Right? I'd be like, are you fucking serious? Like, as as Jan, I mean. Yeah, well, I'm, well, Jan didn't get the letters. I know, but I'm just saying. Even as, then, as example, she would, yeah. quote-unquote, like, joke. Like, yeah. oh, you guys are, like, married. <laughs> when she's off. really actually fucking yeah. jealous. What's even more interesting about it is I feel like maybe the reason Bryn didn't send the letters to Jan is because Jan is famous. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And she couldn't win anything against she might Jan have gotten, like a lot of backlash exactly yeah. so she probably wrote all these things down because those were her feelings but 
she couldn't do anything about it because, again, that's her narcissism. Yeah. Because if she really wanted to accuse her of an affair, she could. It's true. If she felt it was the truth, but she yeah. probably didn't think it was the truth. I mean, that's, like, not the worst thing in the world to, like, write down, you know, your feelings and then throw them away and not say, right. <laughs> you know, but, like, no, this yeah. is toxic as fuck, obviously. This is clearly toxic. And not only that, but it's not just her feelings that she's keeping to herself and then getting yes. rid of, she's taking it out on her husband. Yeah, exactly. Phil's career continued to blossom. He would do multiple voice acting jobs for The Simpsons, Animaniacs, and The Critic, but he really hit it big with News Radio in 1995. News Radio was a TV show that surrounded a radio station and the characters that worked there. The show starred the likes of Andy Dick, Joe Rogan, and Dave Foley. This would be one of Phil's most accredited roles as Bill McNeil. Britton, on the other hand, was still struggling to find work and was becoming more and more jealous of her husband's career. And tired, she grew tired of feeling simply like arm candy. Here's the thing. I guarantee you he could have at least assisted with getting her work. And I guarantee you she was like, no, I can't. I'm, no, there's no way I'm getting famous off of your doing. I have to do this on my own, blah, blah, blah. Well, he actually did. So in 1998, he was on a show called Third Rock from the Sun. And I think he's only in two episodes, maybe. But he got her a two-episode job on there. You know, like, oh, just throw my wife a bone. She won't fucking stop complaining about her yeah. career and all. So just give her, just put her on the fucking thing. Just put her, just please. Yeah. <laughs> just like, fucking help me out. Please. So she's not just a total bitch when we get home, you know, kind of shit. Damn. It's just, that's so awful. And like, I wonder how uncomfortable that would make, I'm uncomfortable. I said that really Uncomfortable. <laughs> uncomfortable that made him feel, not only is he now having to experience this abuse at work, at home, he's probably having to experience it at work, maybe in like a verbal abuse or maybe like under her breath or like passive aggressiveness or whatever oh, yeah. and like he did her a fucking favor and i guarantee you she didn't change her fucking attitude even no. especially at work no because she wanted to make it big she didn't want to be the wife of an actor yeah she wanted to be an actress yeah expressing his marital problems to joe rogan of all people joe recalls telling phil several times to leave the marriage and that the relationship was toxic joe said phil told him that he couldn't because he wanted to stay together for the kids Aww. which is Awful, and absolutely is no one blaming the children. Yeah, of course not. You know, it's not. But he's like, you know, she's a really good person. It's just the drugs. It's the abuse. You know. Well, I guarantee he wasn't, like, there was not even a thought in his mind that they could have an amicable split. Right. And then has to make sure that the kids were taken care of. There's yeah. no way. At least he would have to get her, like, stabilized. And yeah, then, exactly. And then, you know, even begin to have a conversation about divorce. Exactly. And by this point, the couple were sleeping in separate bedrooms. On multiple occasions, staff on the SNL set would hear Phil and Bryn arguing in his dressing room. And on one, at least one occasion in 1998, Bryn came into the studio demanding a divorce after Phil had given Bryn an ultimatum, the drugs or the kids. Damn. He was just like, this is it. You get, you have to get sober or you're not going to, like, I'm taking the kids. It's unhealthy. Our kids. Sorry, I said your kids, but our kids. Phil confided in his makeup artist after this argument that he actually didn't want a divorce and that he would likely have to deal with Bryn, her addiction, and her abuse for the rest of his life. Oh, my God. He, unfortunately, was not wrong. On May 27th, 1998, Bryn and a friend of hers went to a local Italian place in L.A. where Bryn was noticed to have a few glasses of wine. This spot was known as a regular spot for Bryn and Phil, and even at one point a server asked Bryn where Mr. Hartman was, to which she replied, at home. Bryn seemed to be in good spirits, and the two women would leave the establishment around 9 or 10 p.m. Not entirely done with her night, Bryn proceeded to drive to a former boyfriend's house named Ron Douglas in order to continue drinking. So Phil can't talk to his ex-wife. His no, ex-wife cannot, not. cannot send a letter of congratulations on having a fucking baby. Yeah, for But real. she can stop by her ex-boyfriend's house on the way because she's not done and drinking. And drink more. Yeah. yeah. Ugh. Phil did not care for this man, not because he thought that they were intimate or any of that other stuff, but it's because Ron would often supply Bryn with as much cocaine as she wanted. Yeah. Bryn became increasingly agitated as she began to talk about Phil and their relationship and the ultimatum, and she continued to get high at Ron's place. Around midnight, Bryn was so full of rage, she decided to drive home to confront Phil yet again. Bryn arrived home drunk and high on cocaine. She and Phil proceeded to get into an argument. Hours went by, and at some time after 3 a.m., 
Bryn called Ron to say that she had found a note from Phil saying that he was going to be out for the night. What? Ron found this to be unusual as both children were in the house that evening and knew Phil wouldn't leave the kids alone overnight with no one home. Yeah. Bryn asked if she could go back to Ron's house, which he replied, no, because the kids are going to be alone and you've clearly been drinking. She sounded way more wasted than when she left. So did he offer to come over because she's fucked up and she's by herself with the kids? No. Oh my God. He was just like, go to bed. Jesus. She's like, okay. (laughs) Bryn would not take this advice. And 20 minutes later, Bryn shows up at Ron's house. She immediately states, quote, I think I killed Phil, end quote. What? Yeah. Just like, I think I killed him. Like, just in, like, a fucking... Like, in a fucking drunken stupor, yeah. (laughs) And she's, you know, fucking completely high. What do you mean, I think I killed him? You just said he was out for the night, like, 20 minutes ago. Seeing that Bryn was completely intoxicated and almost inaudible, Ron didn't believe her at first. Then Bryn produced a handgun, stating that this was the potential murder weapon. Ron immediately removed the weapon from her hand and inspected it. Putting his fingerprints on it. He was just like, what the fuck? I would be like, why the fuck did you bring that to my house? Why are you here? Why the fuck did you do that? And you came immediately to my house? Well, he looked at the gun, and apparently there was, like, the gun was full of bullets or something. Mm. So he was like, did she? Did she not? Was this a dream? Did she threaten him with a gun and that's what she thinks or whatever? Yeah, that's true. He probably wasn't, like, immediately believing her that she did that. I don't even know how she made it to his house. You know? Oh, yeah, it's true. In her inebriated state, she actually asked Ron to call the house multiple times to see if Phil would answer the phone, unsure if she had even hurt Phil. Ron did multiple times, but no answer at the house. Oh, my God. Now he has that on the fucking record. The two waited at Ron's house for several hours as Bryn was so intoxicated and high, she actually became sick, like she started throwing up. And Ron feared that she would eventually have an overdose. So he waited for her to kind of not not call an ambulance. Yeah, of not call not. the police. He was just like, oh, let's see if she overdoses. And where the fuck are the kids during this whole thing? They're at the house. By themselves. With their deceased father, presumably, in the house with them. Presumably. And Ron Ron knows this and is like Well, he doesn't really know because again, she's so messed up. Okay, well. I can see that. I can see that perspective. But she's been known to be outlandish and dramatic, you know? But here's the thing. Even if he's not dead, the kids are still there by themselves. (laughs) Even if Phil had gone out for the night, Yeah, like, what? Yeah. So after a few hours, the two would make their way over to Phil's house. And while in the car, Bryn called another friend. And this time she confessed to killing Phil. Or at least what she thought she had done. When arriving on the scene at about 6.10 a.m., Ron entered the home where he found Phil lying in his bed as if he were sleeping. Oh, my God. He had been shot three times. The first shot through the forehead, killing him instantly. Bryn had shot him an additional two more times, once in the throat and another in the chest. Ron immediately called 911. Bryn called more people, including her sister, from her own phone, stating multiple times that she had killed her husband, Phil, and apologized in her intoxicated state. She told her sister to take care of her children as she wasn't going to be able to any longer. Police arrive on the scene and begin to process the house. The police knew right away from the phone call that there had been a shooting and that there were children present. So their first priority when arriving at the scene was to remove nine-year-old Sean and six-year-old Bergen from the home. Yeah, I thought they probably fucking woke up during that whole shit, too. That's so sad. Sean said he heard noises of gunshots, but at the time he thought after yet another argument, his parents were just slamming doors. Meanwhile, Bryn moved into the bedroom where Phil was and locked herself inside. Once the children were safely out of the home, a single gunshot could be heard from the house. Bryn had taken her own life lying next to her husband, Phil's lifeless body. Oh, Both were pronounced dead at the scene. So that's why she told her sister to take care of her kids, not because she was going to prison. Oh my god, that is so fucked up. It's really fucked up. Oh my god. After this tragedy, Bryn's brother Greg sued the company Pfizer, who produced Zoloft at the time, and her kid's psychologist, who had provided the Zoloft to her. Her child's, like, her two kids' psychologist. not even her own doctor. Not even her own doctor. Wow, that was a fuck-up. The case was settled with Pfizer and ended up paying out um, $100,000 to the family of, to to the children. Yeah. 
Two other examples of homicidal side effects of the drug Zoloft are actually present in the cases of James Holmes, who's the Dark Knight mm-hmm. shooter, and Eric Harris from Columbine. So they are two other instances of this kind of homicidal rage mm-hmm. that, you know, is incorporated with abusing Zoloft or mixing it in combination with other things. Both of these individuals had struggled with homicidal rage while using Zoloft, essentially. Andy Dick, who was a co-worker of, or a co-star of Phil Hartman's, was actually accused of starting up Bryn's cocaine habit by John Lovitz. What? John claims that Andy gave Bryn cocaine at a party a few weeks before the murder-suicide. Although Andy claims that Bryn had either A, already relapsed by that point, or B, he didn't know that, he ac- that she actually had any severe problem with it. Yeah, I just gave her drugs. I didn't, like, give Neither her Neither of which is okay. Yeah. <laughs> I just provided her with a fucking class. She's got a substance. problem. That's, that's her issue. Yeah, like, like, what? Fuck you, Andy Dick. It gets better. So. Fuck you and your dick. John did forgive Andy until one incident in 2006 where the two were sitting separately at a restaurant. Andy Dick came up to John Lovitz and said, quote, I put the Phil Hartman curse on you. You're the next to die. End quote. This is his co-star, the dude that did news radio with him. So he's saying, like, I gave your wife cocaine, and now she's going to be an addict and kill you? Is that what he's saying? It's just Andy Dick being a fucking asshole. Like, and, you know, everybody knows Andy Dick is a fucking asshole. (laughs) And he struggles with his own addictions. That's wild. This caused a massive disturbance with... Which ended with Andy Dick being ejected from the establishment. Jesus. The two would run into each other once more some years later at a comedy club in in which an altercation occurred with John Lovitz slamming Andy Dick's head into the bar multiple times. Oh, jeez. I can't even get through that sentence. It's such a wild sentence. It's a wild sentence. Right? It just, I'm like, ooh, John Lovitz. Like, all of a sudden. Okay. Okay. You know? Ooh. (laughs) Ugh. News radio would end after the show attempted to replace Phil Hartman's character unsuccessfully, or at least kind of get away from yeah. that tragedy. The show would be canceled the following year. Bergen and Sean were adopted by Bren's sister, Catherine, and um, Phil, always thinking of his children, put a very specific inheritance plan together for his children, which I thought was, this is, this is cool. Like, if I was, you know, a very wealthy individual, this is probably what I would do. Okay. The two would receive a third of their inheritance when they turn 25, or if they receive a bachelor's degree from a four-year accredited university first. So you could do the bachelor's degree, four-year accredited university, and then you could get that third of your inheritance, or whenever you turn 25. Okay. The remaining inheritance would be split, given half at age 30 and the rest at 35. So, like, by the time you're 35, hopefully you're established established enough. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's just, like, it's not... You turn 18, you get all the inheritance. It's, exactly, it's, yeah. you know, kind of si- siphoned out. Hmm. Which I, yeah. Yeah, I think that's kind of cool. I do too. Also in their will, Phil and Bryn wish to be cremated. Ashes spread along Catalina and have a shared headstone, which was honored. That's fucked up. I wouldn't have done that. Yeah. Like, I'm, I know it's in your will, but like, come on. Yeah. Like, that's all I'm going to say. Either way, it's fucking sad. It's very sad. No, it's horrific. The children have seemed to adjust it as well as they possibly could. Sean is now 34 and is a artist and musician. Oh, wow. Good for him. And Bergen is 31. And she is happily married. And she has been sober from drugs and alcohol since 2012. Wow. Good for her. Right? Bergen shared recently on her Instagram a photo of her father on Father's Day. The caption said, quote, As another Father's Day comes to an end, I remind myself that no matter what, I am very fortunate to have a number of great father figures in my life, but this dapper dude will always have my heart, end quote. I just got full body heaps. That's really sweet. (sighs) Right? And it's a really good picture of him, too. (laughs) Sean mostly lays low, so, but again, he's a successful artist and musician. In a final interview filmed, but not yet aired at the time of Phil's death, Phil said some of his final words, quote, I think of my old age... I've come to realize how precious everything is, and I try to value the many blessings that I have that have been bestowed upon me. But there is also this sense of vulnerability if fortune took another turn for the worst, and that you have to live with the awareness that anything could happen in this world, end quote. I feel like he knew. Right? I feel like he knew not only with that quote, but also with him saying that he was going to 
spend the rest of his life with his wife's addiction. Yeah. I think that he had an, an inkling, you know, and they say that, like, sometimes, like, you just know, like, when you're, like, gonna die soon, like, mm-hmm. people just have, like, an intuition yeah. about it. Like, have you ever seen, like, those final tweets or whatever? Like, right. this one girl said, like, oh, the future looks dark, and then, like, she died, like, a week later. Yeah. Um, that's really fucking sad, though. It was, like, and, a like, hi- highly abusive yeah. situation, you know, this domestic violence situation where everything is so unpredictable. And you have to feel so helpless. Yeah. I'm just glad that the kiddos were okay. But that's really, really sad. And it's sad on both parts, like, with her struggling with addiction for so long and then him becoming a victim of that. And then also Zoloft. Like, I mean, that's it's not the only time that that's happened. I think they... I read an article that in the UK there was something like 28 to 32 people within, like, a, you know, six-month or a year span that were... that had harmed other people or themselves on Zoloft. God, that's scary. And they still prescribe that. Phil Hartman was to voice Zap Brannigan from Matt Groening's Futurama, but would be replaced with Billy West. But he did try out for it. He would have been Zap, Zap Brannigan, which is kind of cool because Billy West does his own like interpretation of, of Phil Hartman. You can really oh, hear it. Nice. He was also nominated for an Emmy Award for his participation in news radio after his death. Small Soldiers was also dedicated to Phil Hartman as it was his last film. And in September 2012, Phil Hartman was inducted into Canada's Walk of Fame, with Paul, his brother, accepting his award. And in August 2014, he got his own star on the Hollywood Walk. Oh, that's really sweet of them to do that. I think it was really, yeah. It's nice to, like, commemorate him. Yeah, for sure. It's it's just thinking about the way, the direction that his career was going. Like, there wasn't going to be any stopping him. It was just this, you know? So we have talked about Zoloft, and we have talked about alcohol and drug abuse, and we want to make it clear that we are not saying anything specific about any type of medication or drug, that if you take Zoloft, this will happen to you kind of a thing, you know. Um, Definitely not saying that, but there are some very real links between just medication in general, SSRIs, plus alcohol, and the side effects that it can create. Yeah, or other drugs, you know. Well. And even mixing, you know, any type of medication with any other kind of medication. For sure. So, specifically between alcohol and Zoloft, some of the increased effects can include dizziness, depression, suicidal thoughts, anxiety, headaches, nausea, diarrhea, or drowsiness. So, yeah. Don't want to be mixing alcohol for the most part. Talk to your doctor. Always talk to your doctor. Always talk to your doctor. Always Everyone's different. Now, without the SSRIs, alcohol alone can symptoms of anxiety, feeling worthlessness, fatigue, irritability, tiredness or insomnia, restlessness, weight gain or weight loss, and loss of appetite. So even if you take Zoloft or any other medication for a condition other than depression, it still might not be safe for you to drink alcohol. You may still have an increased risk of depression from alcohol, just alcohol alone. This is because depression is common as a common symptom of other related health problems like OCD, PTSD that Zoloft does treat. Yeah. Gotcha. If you are a loved one or struggling with drug or alcohol addiction, call the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services at 1-800-662-4357. You can always reach out to the National Suicide Lifeline at 988. But if you or a loved one are in immediate danger, please call 911. If you or a loved one is experiencing domestic violence, call 1-800-799-7233. Great job. Thanks. That was a good story. Yeah. Did that sound sarcastic? It did. Oh, my it bad. I really was job. just, like, kind of, uh, dwe- not dwelling, but, um, what's the it's word? like mulling like, over. Mull- yeah, mulling over everything that I just heard, and then I was like, great job, but it sounded really yeah. monotone the way it came out. No, no it was a good, that was a good case. It was one that I kind of wanted to tackle just because I feel, Phil, Phil's name is still so highly attached to that incident. Yeah. And Bryn, I'm not, you know, what happened was an absolute tragedy, mm-hmm. and it's just... I think that had there been maybe more resources that either them or someone else maybe suggested, clearly Bryn was dealing with um, some mental disorder issues yeah. and alcohol dependency, probably a drug dependency, you know, and, and possibly even anger, anger issues. Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, I don't, I definitely Again, we said it earlier, domestic violence goes both ways. He was definitely becoming isolated, you know, 
check check up on your friends check yeah. check up on your loved ones absolutely and you know it, it it's really hard because there's a lot of situations that really seem different than they are but that's why it's important to like start these hard conversations and talk about the things that we talk about on the podcast because yeah it might be uncomfortable but it could quite literally save someone's life yeah just having that person that they can fight in in order to be able to tell them how they're feeling or what's going on, you know, in their personal life and stuff, yeah. you know. And this is a very, very minute thing compared to what we just spoke about. But, I mean, similarly to today at work, you know, I was having a very bad panic attack. I was seeing spots and I immediately grabbed someone and I told them, look, this is what's going on. I need to take a second. Mm-hmm. And they took over for me and they covered for me so that I could sit down. Yeah. And it's just... Again, that's a very small on the scale, but that if I didn't have this confidence in talking about mental health or hard subjects, I might have just pushed past that and who knows, I could have actually passed out, you know, yeah. or I could have freaked or out more, you know, or, you know, whatever. Come home and then spend the rest of your night in bed, you know, exactly. because it's, it hits you all then because you, yeah. you didn't take care of it in the moment, you right? Held it, held it in for a long time. Yeah. And that, I mean, that's not an example that's like this one, but this is way obviously more detrimental on that yeah. scale. But it's, I think it's just that awareness, the knowledge yeah. helps you and others, yeah, you know, I think and so you, too. you're able to recognize it in other people because you can recognize it in yourself. Yeah, absolutely. And it actually helps me having all this knowledge. It helps me like handle my personal like struggles more, right. like yeah. better, more better, more better. More better. And on that note, (laughs) thank you guys for joining us for another episode. Join us next week for our mental breakdown on Monday. And then my case next Thursday. It's a doozy. Y'all are going to really like this one. And if you have not heard of of this case that I'm bringing next Thursday, I will be very, very surprised. Really? And that goes for you and all of the listeners. Mm. This is a very popular case that I'm bringing next week. And then don't forget on the 29th. The week after that is going to be our Patreon bonus episode. It's already here again. I feel like we just did Dahmer. And this Patreon bonus episode has been suggested by a patron. Ooh. And that's all I'm going to say (gasps) for now. You're not even going to tell me who it is? Well, I'll tell you who it is, but I'm not going to say it on the mic because I'm going to say it next week. Remember, we do it a week in advance. Yeah, you're right. You're right. You're right. I'm going to turn off the mic now so I can tell Qual. I don't think I've ever said Qual on here. I don't think you have. That's Qual's It's an nickname. inside joke. We'll, yeah. tell, we'll talk about the legacy that is Qual eventually. We will. If you guys want to hear that story, email us. Yeah. Okay. All right. We'll see you guys on Monday. Love you. Love you. Bye. Bye. Loving a pet is easy. Losing a pet is hard. Perfect Memorials has been chosen by families since 2001 for their unique memorial products. Choosing a cremation urn or other product from Perfect Memorials allows many special ways to memorialize your loved one. Keep your furry friend in your memory forever with unique, handcrafted, and personalized products for everyone. Click the link in the show notes today to save 10% off of your first order with Perfect Memorials from now until March 31st.